Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. A few weeks ago, we talked about pitching and its place in 2019 in a conversation with former Mets and A's pitching coach Rick Peterson. On this episode of 30 with Murdy, a conversation about hitting in 2019 with the hitting coach of the world champion Washington Nationals, Kevin Long. I've known Kevin almost 15 years since his days as the Yankees' AAA hitting coach. Kevin's been a big league hitting coach since 2007, and he's worked with three teams, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Nationals. All three teams went to a World Series. The Yankees and Nationals won it all. The Nationals showed a little old-fashioned bat-to-ball skill, so they were viewed as a bit of a throwback. But make no mistake, they won the World Series in Game 7 because they hit big home runs, not because they strung together rallies with singles, bunts, and stolen bases. Regardless, they are World Series champions, and their hitting coach now has two World Series rings. Kevin and I discussed some of the men that came through with big hits in the run to the title including some in-depth thoughts on young Juan Soto and the veteran Howie Kendrick. We also talk a lot about the evolution of hitting technology, team coaches versus personal hitting coaches, and the next frontier of hitting that's bringing back some of the bat-to-ball elements to help the Nationals win this year. I also hit Kevin with my theory that while they didn't invent the launch angle revolution, I firmly believe that he and Daniel Murphy of the Mets at the time were the godfathers of launch angle because of the ride they went on late in the 2015 season together, leading the Mets to the National League pennant. Kevin also once coached a teenage outfielder in the Royals system named Carlos Beltran, and we get some thoughts on him as he embarks on his managerial career. Interesting thoughts here. Here now, recorded a week before Thanksgiving, my conversation with Washington Nationals hitting coach, Kevin Long. So, Kevin, first of all, when you think back to how you won this World Series, I'm thinking about, you know, the clutch hits late in the game that every team is always looking for this time of year. And you got one in the wild card game and you got him in the division series against the Dodgers. And then obviously in the World Series, you know, it's it's so hard to get them one time. You got them multiple times. It ended in a World Series. As a guy who was a hitting coach, that has to be really satisfying. Well, it is. I mean, it's it's probably the hardest thing to do is to come up with clutch hits and to come up with them time and time again. And the cool part is it was, it was Juan Soto one day. It was Rendon one day. It was Trey Turner the next day. It was Adam Eaton the next day. It was Howie Kendrick with big ones. It was our catchers coming up with big ones. Gomes and says, it was just all the way down the lineup. Zimmerman had a big clutch hit. So um, I can't really explain it other than to say that our guys had fun. Um, they enjoyed themselves. They enjoyed being together. Um, maybe more than any team I've ever been a part of. Um, and they, they almost felt obligated or, or um, it was almost fate that they were going to get it done. Um, and, they, and there was no panic if one guy didn't get it done. It was like, okay, no, no problem. 
uh, then the next guy's got to do it. And it just kept snowballing, and uh, it snowballed all the way to the championship. You know, I, I thought if there was any year where batting last mattered, I thought it would have been this year because of the way home runs were, were being hit and the ability to hit a ball out of the ballpark in your last at-bat I thought was going to win a lot of games. Postseason didn't turn out that way, and obviously you guys are a testament to that, having come out of the wild card and not having home field at all. You know, that was – I was a little surprised that it played out the way that it did, that you were able to get all those big hits, even, you know, batting in the top of the inning instead of the bottom. I know it's a small difference, but it feels like a difference to me. What did you think about that? Yeah, I, I thought there was a small difference. Um, I, I guess we weren't a team that really relied on home runs. We are probably in the middle of the pack. As far as MLB baseball, um, it, it just seemed like our guys, um, maybe be, because of the inability to hit home runs, mm-hmm. it helped. Mm-hmm. Adam Eaton's not a home run hitter. Tony Rendon probably wouldn't consider himself a home run hitter. Uh, Juan Soto considers himself um, just a really good hitter. Um, so we didn't have guys um, that really hit a lot of home runs. So that played into it as well. Um, and it didn't matter if it was the bottom of the inning, the top of the inning, the seventh inning. I really felt like our guys didn't give away at bats. Um, we stayed in the strike zone. We commanded the strike zone. Uh, we made pitchers work. Uh, and it was, a, it was a team, team effort. There was no guy that was more important than the next. Yeah, so do you think that, I mean, listen, we had this argument a lot, of, uh, not even argument, we had this discussion a lot when you were with the Yankees, and, you know, home runs aren't bad, you know, they're good, but is what, did you notice a difference that because your team didn't rely on it as much, was there a difference in approach or mentality or confidence or, or any of those things? No, I, I just think when you're big and strong, like a Stanton, like a Judge, like a Sanchez, that's more a part of their game. I don't know that they're swinging for the fences. I don't know that they have big, long swings. Um, I just think that that's more. But we had Teixeira. We had A-Rod. We had, we had guys that were big, strong. Uh, Giambi. I can go on and on and on with the yeah. Yankee lineups. Um, and, and that's more or less what you saw. Um, you know, and again, I'll go to our guys. There's We didn't have big physical guys. I would say Matt Adams would be our biggest uh, you know, physical guy, and he was, you know, a platoon player. Um, so, uh, again, did that factor into it? I, I, in this case, I guess it did. Yeah, it made a big difference. How did that play out in the work that you did? Because you're obvi- you're working with these hitters, and you have you won a World Series with one group uh, in '09, and you won a World Series with this group. And as you're talking about, it's it, you know they're pretty different groups. So, how did it play out in the work that you do every day? Um, there's small, minor things that you might do differently, but at the end of the day, I've been teaching the same way. I've been going about it the same way. Um, we've actually done less. Um, so we have, you know, you have advanced meetings. You know, we stopped our advanced meetings the first couple of months into the season. Really? We just stopped them. Yeah, yeah because it, it was overload. Our guys were getting overloaded. They were thinking too much. Um, and it takes away from your talent. It takes away from the job at hand. Um, you know, you start worrying about what did he say this pitcher was going to do with two strikes? What was this guy going to do? Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. He said, and you start thinking about 10 different things when you should be worried about competing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, we've kind of taken out of the game is the ability for the athlete to compete. 
And I, I feel like that's what we did a really good job of with the Nats. Is we made it more about competing. We made it more about grinding. We made it more about we're better than you, and, and we're going to find a way and figure out a way um, to beat your butt every day, and we did. Yeah, it's funny you say that because – you know, when I look at the way the direction pitching is going, obviously technology and video is is playing a much larger role in the pitching aspect of it. How much of that is is larger in your role than maybe it was a few years ago, or is it stay relatively the same in that regard? From the first day I got to the big leagues, um, it's changed a little bit because I have help. I used to do all the pitcher cards every. Every bit of advancing that was done on a pitcher, I did it. So I'd get to Yankee Stadium at 9, 10 o'clock in the morning and start grinding on the opposing pitchers, uh, their pitches, what they did, uh, how they were going to use their pitches, how they were going to attack lefties, how they were going to attack righties. Um, and now we have advanced guys that help us in-house, which makes my job a heck of a lot easier. And the other thing that's helped is we have assistant hitting coaches that are really, really good and really, really talented. Um, and mine uh, was as good as anybody's. Um, and he helped me a great deal as well. So um, the game has changed. I would say on the other end, it, it's probably more important for the pitchers to have meetings because they can attack hitters' weaknesses a lot easier. I mean, pitchers make so many mistakes. They don't hit spots all the time. Uh, you can't say that, you know, besides maybe a Zach Greinke, yeah, or maybe Tanaka with the Yankees. How, how many guys command the baseball well? Not that many. So for us to attack a certain area all the time is kind of ridiculous. You talked about you know your hitter is maybe getting a sense of overload with information and adjusting to that. Do you like having? more information obviously there is more uh, available to you now than than 10 years ago and between the video and between the analytic data and everything do you like absorbing all of that into your game planning whether you have help or not it's still a lot to digest um how do you feel about about having all that at your uh, available to you i love having it at my disposal I, I just i want more i want as much as i can possibly handle um I know which guys need information. I go. I know which guys don't. Anthony Rendon is as simple as they get, not only with the swing, but with the information that he wants. So um, it, in a lot of ways, he's like Derek Jeter. Mm. He wants very basic stuff. What's this guy have? What's the speed uh, of his pitches? And, and that's it. I'll, I'll take care of the rest. Um, uh, other guys want a lot of information. Trey Turner is very cerebral. He wants uh, to know a whole lot. I hold back from him quite a bit hmm. because I feel like he can, you know, overdo it at times. But, uh, again, there's some valuable information that I can give uh, to certain hitters uh, that can really, really help them on an, on an everyday basis. Yeah, I know your team is probably, you know, taking a break right now, but a lot of hitters and a lot of players are start, starting to wind up a little bit. They've taken their off-season break and they start working out again, uh, and they'll be hitting real soon. How much do you have to battle – the uh, the personal hitting coaches that uh, and and whatever philosophies and work habits they instill that players have this time of year and maybe even during the season they rely a little bit on some of that stuff but I mean you know they're you know you're working for the team and the players certainly have team interests but they also have their own interests and that's where some of these other guys get in how much do you have to kind of walk the line with what what kind of advice 
players are getting outside of your sessions? Yeah, I, I, I've been able to adjust to that pretty well. There's a delicate um, kind of feel or mix um, of how you need to handle that. Um, listen, I'm, I'm all for it. You, you think this guy can help you and maybe he can? Go for it. Um, I, I, I guess where what really helps is I know that the information that I'm giving our guys is top-notch and it's, it's world-class information and it works. And that's, that's where I feel like I have an advantage over maybe some of these guys that uh, have their own factories or uh, own outlets that are helping guys. Um, because at the end of the day, are those guys having to deal with the game action? Meaning, are they having to face Garrett Cole that night? No. Yeah. They're just in some lab trying to put their guy, you know, this guy's swing together. Um, well, I'm doing that, and uh, we're also having to deal with the failure uh, at the big league level because there's failure. It's going to happen. Um, you know, and guys can get um, bad information. There's bad as much as, you know, let's just say one guy's helped. Um, uh, let's pick any guy out there. He's helped this guy. Well, what he did to help this guy might not work with, Ten other guys, mm-hmm. so he's basically screwing up those other ten, um, and he's getting a lot of credit for the one guy, uh, but no one talks about the failures. Yeah, um, I failed. Um, you know, I failed with certain guys. Uh, most of the time, uh, there's success, but you know, there's some failures in there as well, and and that's the tough part. There are two guys in your team I want to talk to you about specifically and get get some thoughts on, and they're at opposite ends of their career. Juan Soto is just, you know, I think we saw him come up uh, against the Yankees as was he debuted last year. And obviously he's taken off. He's such a talent. What do you see when you look at him? I'm just, I'm amazed at, at the things this guy can do. Um, I think what I, I, it's the kid. Number one, the kid is so special, just a great human being. You know, people used to talk. Yeah, I remember Jim Leland used to talk about Curtis Granderson, how he'd want him to marry his daughter. Yeah. That's the way I feel. That's the way I feel about Juan Soto. Um, my wife was staying at a hotel, and she she was looking for a package, and it wasn't there. And um, there was a big crowd around her, and she was kind of making a scene. Juan Soto walks over. He taps her on the shoulder. And he says, "Mrs. Long, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do to help?" Now, this is a young man who's. Uh, he's from the Dominican. He's really, really young. He sees my wife, who he knows, and he's just going over to check on <laughs> just to make sure. I'm already at the field. I've been in the field forever. And it was just one of those things where she had talked to me about it, and I said, man, that means a lot to me. Now, that's that's not even talking about the talent on the field, the strike zone discipline at 20, the power, the opposite field that he has, the ability to make adjustments, the two-strike approach. Um, it, it, it goes on and on. The swing, the mechanics of the swing are, I'm telling you, swing, they're almost flawless. So you talk about all that, that how he improved in left field. No one even talks about that. Mm -hmm. This guy was up for a gold glove. He almost could have won it. And that part of it is is really special as well. So um, needless to say, the talent is off the charts. uh, But the kid is really what sticks out to me. Uh, and a guy who's not a kid, but it seems like he's been terrorizing pitchers for so long. Howie Kendrick just amazes me, and and he was obviously such a key part for you guys. What what did you see from him? 
Wow. I have admired Howie Kendrick for years. Uh, and it was the time when I was with the Yankees and he was with the Angels. I said, boy, this guy can really, really, really hit. Yeah. Um, and having to, having, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be able to work with this guy. He's a leader. Um, he's the first one to the cages still to this day. I, I'm rushing to make sure that I'm there on time. Um, it's usually starts around 1.30, 1.45 every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, he's meticulous in his work. He makes adjustments. He wants to know what he can do better. Uh, he wants to know how he can improve. Uh, what I see, I, and I, I basically tell him. And then he kind of sorts it out from there. Um, and I tell him, okay, this is what you're doing. Uh, this is what makes you really good. But you're, you're really crossing over. And you're cutting yourself off. So anything inside, you're just, you, you have no room to work. And he hit the home run off Joe Kelly on a fastball on the inside part of the plate, and hits it out to center because that's what he can do. He can stay inside the ball, but he's got a lane to do it. And those are the adjustments that he's made at, I mean, very late in his career uh, that has helped him thrive. I saw something the other day where the last three years he's got the highest batting average in baseball. Mm. Um, yeah, granted they're limited at bats, but that's where he's at in his career. He can't play every day. Um, you can see a big difference after three or four days. He just doesn't have the life in his body. Uh, but he's, he's another guy who, um, I, it's again, I can't say enough about what he did to help our team. Um, what was the biggest difference from, you know, 2018 to 19, not having Howie Kendrick, Mm. (laughs) he he wasn't around. Wow. He got hurt, and I would say, and that's overlooked a lot. But Howie Kendrick not being in that clubhouse made a huge difference. I want I want to get back to hitting, kind of in general, with you again. And I I think you're probably going to object to the way I phrase this, but I, I hope you'll understand my point. Okay, <laughs> I feel like yeah, I, get, I feel like you and Daniel Murphy are kind of like the godfathers of launch angle. And I know you don't necessarily love the phrase, but the adjustments you guys made late in 2015 and what it did to Daniel Murphy and the Mets that year, I felt like really, I know the game was headed there, but I feel like it kind of set off in people's minds what was possible and set us up on what's been going on in baseball for the last five years. Do you understand what I mean? And do you agree or disagree with that? Half-heartedly, I agree. Um, The part that that bothers me is um, thinking that I want our, our guys to work uphill and I want them to swing kind of straight up. Um, I, I There's a huge advantage to hitting a ball in the air than on the ground. Huge. I mean, it's it's astronomical, especially with the shifts. Right. Um, if you hit a ground ball into the shift, you're out. You're like a 170 hitter. It's ridiculous. So, if you're gonna, if you're a pull hitter, they, and they're shifting you, you might as well hit the ball in the air, and you're going to get rewarded by doing that. So that's where the analytics kind of come into play, where you know that mm-hmm. because numbers don't lie, uh, and so you kind of point that out to hitters. In Daniel Murphy's case, we were basically trying to see if there was more damage in his swing, if he was able to impact the baseball uh, in a little different manner. So we worked really hard on it. Um, and a lot of it had to do with changing his thought process, which his thought process was kind of down and shooting the ball the other way to elevating the baseball a little bit more to the pull side. 
uh, and it ended up being a lot more to the pull side because he got comfortable on the plate. Um, he's obviously got a short, compact, explosive swing, uh, and he figured it out about two months into the season. Mm-hmm. And once he figured it out, um, <laughs> there was no stopping him. Yeah, um, his, You could see his confidence rise. You could see uh, just everything he did kind of take off. So, um, yeah, we talked about it. Um, it was a big part um, of what we did, uh, especially the Mets. We talked about wanting the ball in the air um, and wanting it to the pull side. And then it became where people were doing it too much. Uh, and it became from a line drive is at 8 to 10% launch angle. It became where guys were trying to get to 30 and 40 and that's just too much. Mm-hmm. So then it starts to change your swing, and it becomes loopy. Uh, when your swing's loopy, you strike out way too much. Um, so I've always believed in the lower half and using your lower half. And if you use it correctly, it pretty much takes care of launch angle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we, we discussed that with, um, you know, our hitters today, talking about the lower half. And if it's working correctly like Juan Soto's, he doesn't have to worry about launch angle. It's just going to happen. Is there a next? So did, I, did, did I explain that? Uh, yeah, right? absolutely. Did that, that absolutely. Make sense to you? But I mean, it sounds okay. like you kind of, I mean, you buy into my my philosophy a little bit, and because it kind of helped oh, yeah. popularize what was happening, yeah. it just created kind mm-hmm. of a monster. Sounds like. Yeah, and and you know, there's these hitting gurus that are really talking about snapping your back elbow down and kind of working uphill, and that's not. We've never even discuss doing that it's never been a part of our vocabulary um if anything um our, I, I like our guys to drive into their legs use the ground um, and when they do that uh, there's a natural loss to the swing that occurs when that happens uh, and the ball just jumps off your bat um so um have we had to manipulate and talk to guys a little bit about uh, maybe getting some guys get too steep as they go to the ball um, yeah, we've had to talk about that a little bit, but it's never been where we like snap that back elbow and then kind of drop our bat back and just basically work uphill. So is, is there a next frontier in hitting right now? I mean, is there an adjustment to go back from, from what we've gone from say five years ago to where we are now is hitting the other way is not taking the a swing and taking, put a little more chance into it. Is that is that any part of where this is going, or do you think it's going in some other direction? Yeah, there, there for a minute it was all about not making adjustments and, and you know, taking your A swing at all times. Um, I'm seeing a difference. I'm seeing guys spread out. I'm seeing guys choke up. I'm seeing guys go the other way. I'm seeing guys, uh, you know, try to manipulate the barrel uh, a little bit more to, to contact. At least with us, it, it, it was a big part of what we did. Every guy on our team had a two-strike approach. Um, I can't say that was happening three years ago, mm-hmm. two years ago, four years ago. Um, it was more probably 15 years ago everybody had a two-strike approach. Um, it, it was it was a big part of what we did, um, and I, I believe it made a difference. Um I mean, Trey Turner went from light kick to, to uh, getting his foot down early with two strikes. Juan Soto, everybody sees that adjustment. Anthony Rendon, um, as little as it is, makes a two-strike adjustment. Adam Eaton goes no stride. So, I mean, everybody to a man uh, pretty much made 
um, adjustments. And those adjustments were not being made a few years ago. So um, maybe people learn from, you know, what we did this year um, and make that a part of what, you know, what they incorporate. We don't do situational hitting during batting practice. Um, we'll do that in spring training and prioritize it um, and have our guys stay back. And we just work on situational hitting the whole day. Mm-hmm. And we did that five or six times. Um, and, and guys understood the importance and uh, they kind of got it after that. So, um, you know, whether that's a, a big part of the game today, it should be. Um, I don't know if guys are prior- prioritizing that enough and it needs to be done. I got two more for you, Kevin. Um, All right. You've known Carlos Beltran since he was a teenager. What kind of a manager yep. do you think he's going to be? I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, I, I just think there's going to be some adjustments, and people are going to have to stay with him a little bit. Um, he's who's his bench coach, Winnie? I'm sorry, I didn't even see who. I, I, they have Winnie. not decided as of as the time we're talking right now. They have not decided to staff yet. Okay, I, I feel like that's important. I feel like that's going to be a big part um, of his success because he's going to need somebody that uh, makes sure you know, lineup cards and talking to players and just the it, everyday grind of being a manager. Um, he'll, he'll kind of have to sort through that. Um, and listen, as long as he played, that experience is much different than what he's about to go into. So there's going to be as good as I think he's, he, he's going to do, uh, and he's going to succeed. Um, I think there's going to be <laughs> some rough patches that he's going to have to figure out uh, and kind of navigate. Um, and again, where's he doing it? Swing. He's doing it in New York. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a lot different in New York than it is every, anywhere else. He knows that as a player, uh, but as a manager, um, every movie makes is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be talked about, um, good or bad. Um, and he's going to have to, um, you know, kind of step back, look at, uh, what he did and make, make the adjustments from there. Um, so we'll see. Um, how it turns out, but I respect Carlos a great deal. Um, I have a lot of faith uh, and confidence in, in him. Um, you know, and again, if he just he just can't be too hard on himself in the beginning. He's mm-hmm. going to have to try to sort. He's going to have to work really hard at it, just as he did as a player. He's going to have to get to the field early, get everything set up, try to uh, navigate. You know, through to every day. Um, stuff that a manager has to go through. And once he does that, he's going to be fine. Do you still want to manage? I mean, you, you've been a, you've gotten three jobs as a hitting coach and two times they've ended in world series championships. The uh, the third one, you came close, you, you got to the world series. So uh, you've made a big impact in your job. And I know we've talked about this before you managed in the minors and there was a point in time where, you know, you thought maybe you had a chance to manage the Mets um, or at least get into the process. Um, and you're still, you know, you've obviously been very successful in what you're doing. Is managing still something you want to do? Want to do? Oh, boy. Uh, you know what? I, I would say when I interviewed for the Mets job and the Nationals job, um, there was a big part of me that was, I was ready to go. Uh, I've kind of stepped back from that um, for the mere fact that you almost have to I'd almost have to steer myself in a different direction. Um, and to be a bench coach, um, instead of a hitting coach, that's not, there's no, for me, the value 
uh, isn't there. My value right now is as a hitting coach. Um, and there's a lot of value right now um, for the job that I do. Um, so I, I would say at this point, someone would have to come after me and really kind of talk me into it. <laughs> um, and I know I could do it. Yeah. But as far as me pursuing it and saying, boy, I, I really want to, no, that's not, that's not how I feel. Um, I really, really, really like what I do. I enjoy what I do. Um, it, it's a lot of fun to go to the park every day. I still feel the same as I did uh, when I first started coaching, which was in 1997. Mm-hmm. I wake up and I'm gung-ho. I can't wait to get to the field. Now, would I be that way as a manager? I'm sure I would. Um, but at this point, uh, I really, really like being a hitting coach. I enjoy being a hitting coach. Uh, and my aspirations right now um, are to be the best hitting coach uh, in Major League Baseball. And that's that'll continue to be that way. Again, could I be persuaded and could I be, you know, maybe pushed towards managing? Sure, but, um, you know, that's not, it's not like a dream or it's not something that I'm pursuing uh, at this time. It's hard to get jobs when you have to be pushed into them. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and again, I guess if I didn't enjoy what I was doing so much, <laughs> yeah. uh, if, I, if I didn't like it or if I didn't, it's, it's physical. Um, there's, there's a lot of work, physical work put into it, but, um, I'm still able to do that. And I still feel good. My body feels good. Um, so at this point, um, I'm going to, you know, continue to do, uh, what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And that's, um, you know, teach, teach hitting to the best of my capability. My thanks to Kevin Long, who has always understood how to speak a language that isn't over the heads of fans and media, knowing how to communicate to us the aspects of the game that aren't always obvious to those of us who watch it. It sure doesn't sound like he wants to manage, but it was only two short years ago where he was in the mix, as he said, for two jobs out there. We'll see where the future takes him and his two World Series rings. If you've missed any of our past episodes, please check them out at radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to search out 30 with Murdy, subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm Sweeney Murdy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.